Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. It's great to, to be back with you all. Some of you know that my family and I uh, just got back from visiting family in Hong Kong. We uh, left the day after Easter, I think 24 hours after I got home from Easter services, and got back this past Wednesday night. So this sermon was written under the influence of extreme jet lag. Our, uh, our trip to Hong Kong was the first time back in five years. It was the first time back since the pandemic. It was the first time uh, for my parents to meet uh, our two-year-old daughter, Catherine. Uh, my eldest brother, Clem, and his family who live in Australia came at the same time as well. It was the first time for them to meet both, uh, both of our kids and for some of them to see Carolyn for the first time since our wedding. Um, and it was our first time traveling to Hong Kong, a 24-hour journey each way with two young kids. There were a lot of firsts, <laughs> and a lot of firsts in a long time, and thus there was a lot of expectation and excitement. But let me recommend to you, if you should ever find yourself working on staff at a church, do not plan a big international trip with young kids right off the back of the busiest weekend of your year. <laughs> That's just free advice for you. Uh, you will be busy, you will be tired, you will be stressed, an undue burden of preparation and planning will fall on your partner, and you may not have the energy to be excited. And uh, to be honest, the first couple of days of the trip were, were disorienting and frankly disappointing. Uh, all of us were tired and jet-lagged and so grumpy. All of us were dealing with a new environment, new allergies, I mean, uh, for me, it was the first time since I had left home 25 years ago not staying with my parents when I was visiting. And so it was a new setup, there were new arrangements, it was a new intentionality and coordination needed to spend time with them. Um, and then there was, uh, there was the language barrier. So I grew up speaking Cantonese, but I haven't been around many Cantonese speakers in quite a while, so it's, it's rusted to the point of what I describe as restaurant level. Well, restaurant level is enough to get you into some trouble. You know how like knowing a little bit of a language can be really unhelpful. It's, you know, like you say enough that the other person thinks you can have a full-on conversation, but you can't, and then you, you, you're, you're lost and confused and embarrassed because you've either got to say, I'm sorry, I don't actually speak any of the language that I tried to show off to you just now, or you have to just like go off of context clues and tone of voice to figure out what to do next. That definitely did not happen to me at all in those first couple of days. It was, it was jarring. Um, the place that had once been home really didn't feel like it anymore. I had to adjust to this unexpected reality. I, I couldn't simply return to whatever had been before. Uh, I had to figure out new ways of being, new ways of, of relating, new ways of engaging, new ways of being present with others and with myself. And it felt like a really handy and really unrequested metaphor for life after the pandemic. Not a return to what was, but an exercise in figuring out what the new normal is and will be, all the while battling the fatigue and exhaustion and all of the other things in here and out there that don't stop just because we're navigating hard transitions. Uh, today, we begin a new series called The Next Five. It's actually a series that we uh, began last fall when we celebrated five years uh, as Christ City Church, and we began 
considering together what the next five might look like. Uh, back in September, I asked everyone who was here to consider how God might be inviting you to invest in the mission and vision of Christ City, which is to see the flourishing of God's kingdom on display in every life and every sphere of life in D.C. and beyond, and to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. And I said, I said, you know, we can't all volunteer with the same frequency, but we can all serve at least somewhere and sometime. We can't all do the same things, but we can't all do something. We can't all give the same amount or the same percentage, but we can all contribute something in response to the blessing of God. And as I said then, the next five is not just about money. It's about considering what God would have you give of your time, your treasures, your talents. And so many of you stepped up in, those, in the months since then to volunteer, to, to, to join a small group, to show up again here in person, to, to figure out this new normal and to recommit yourself to this community and to what God is doing among us. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and I'm so grateful that many of you actually weren't here in September. Uh, you've arrived at Christ City in just the last few months. In fact, you may be attending the newcomer's lunch right after this. So welcome to you. What a joy uh, to have you. And so today and over the next few weeks, all of us will get to hear what we've discerned God is leading us in over the coming years. This next five series is, is a bit of a pandemic reset an opportunity to consider what the new normal will look like as it pertains to your engagement with this community of faith. We're also in the midst of rolling out a, a strategic plan, and, and so you'll hear in detail, some more detail about the priorities God has called us to focus on a little bit today and then uh, in depth over the coming weeks. Now, there is, a, to be straight with you all, there is a financial aspect to the next five as well. Uh, during the height of the pandemic from March uh, 2020 to September 2021, 18 months, uh, our giving went down by more than 10% or over $100,000 um, during that year and a half as compared to the previous 18 months. People moved, people left, uh, people had to tighten their personal, personal or family budget belts, and, and many of us, many who found us during the pandemic weren't quite ready to commit or didn't know how uh, from a distance. And so we are recovering from that fiscal reality as well. And what we'll be asking of you in the coming weeks is to think about what you can give financially, how you can contribute joyfully and discerningly. Uh, we've set an ambitious goal, and, and I'll talk more about that later. But I just want you to have a bit of a roadmap for, for where we're going in the remaining minutes and in the coming weeks. Now, if you're new, you're arriving at a church, and you're hearing we're going to be talking about money, that might rub you the wrong way, uh, whether because of personal experience or, or um, you know, taking in cultural caricatures, and, and they're not all caricatures, of televangelists or religious scammers. You could be wary any time a church or a church leader begins talking about money. I, I understand that. I've had to wrestle with the same thing myself, and I've wrestled with how to talk about this with you all today. The fact is, I don't think we've actually talked much about money and discipleship here at Christ City. This is maybe only the second time in 13 years of ministry that I have preached about money, which is an indicator of just how wary I have been uh, of the ways preachers have abused the scriptures to make themselves rich. And it's also an acknowledgement, it's a confession, that I, that we, have let you down. Because Jesus talked about money and possessions more than anything other than the kingdom of God. I've heard it said that if, if we talked about it as much as Jesus did, we'd be preaching on it every third week. And it's not because money and possessions mean 
you know, that the, the, they were the most important thing to God, it's that they're often the most important thing to us. A former professor of mine once said, our economics shapes our politics and our spirituality. Our economics shapes our politics and our spirituality. In other words, it is often our possessions that possess us and dictate how we then engage with others, our politics, and how we engage in our faith as well. And a former boss of mine would often say, a budget is a moral document. A budget is a moral document. Look at what you spend your money on. Look at what our country spends its money on, and you'll know what's important, what is valued. Instead of, though, laying out a, a comprehensive theology of faithful stewardship or teaching point by point, uh, you know, what the Old Testament and New Testaments have to say about money and giving, I want to start by talking about what could be. What could be. And for this, we go to the New Testament book of Acts, beginning in chapter 2. The context for what we're about to hear is that it's, it's after Pentecost. It's after the Holy Spirit has come down in power upon the disciples, energizing them and empowering them to boldly preach the good news so effectively and movingly that about 3,000 people were added to the community that day. And what we're about to hear is what the very early church, the Spirit-stoked church in the immediate aftermath of Pentecost looked like. It says the, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. Sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. Then a couple chapters later, the community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. And then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. There's so much in those, just those two paragraphs, those two short paragraphs, it just stirs my soul, that inspires, that challenges, that sparks my imagination for what God can do. Devotion to one another. Unity of heart and mind. Signs and wonders, the, the radical prioritization of people over possessions. There were no needy persons among them. Demonstrating God's goodness to everyone. What we see, what we see is a picture of what was and a picture of what could be. Now, I'm not asking for us all today to pool our resources and start a commune, though some in history have done so and, and done so as a powerful witness. I don't intend for us to have today a conversation about the feasibility of that financial model in the capitalistic and individualistic age in which we live, although that would be a fascinating dialogue. What I want us to note today is how God drew together many different people into a new community, a new community that would serve as a witness to the gospel would be a sign that would be a foretaste of God's kingdom, God's good kingdom, not just by the words that were spoken and preached, 
but also by the embodied way of life together, this drawing together into a commonality, into a communality. What we're told in Acts is that there were people from all over the known world that were gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. It was people from all over the known world who came to believe in Jesus, who became part of this new faith experiment. Here in Acts, we see this first multi-gathering, this body of believers cutting across culture and gender and race and class, drawn simply and undeniably toward the good news of a risen Christ and the kingdom of God they so desperately desired and therefore also drawn to one another. Theologian Willie Jennings writes, the space of this common was where life stories, life projects, plans, and purposes were being intercepted by a new orientation. This common is created by the Spirit. How could the things they held dear not be drawn toward the common, this new gathering this ecclesia, this Greek word for church. Time, talent, and treasures, the trinity of possessions we know so well would feel the pull of this holy vortex. When we are caught up in the goodness of God, when we're caught up in the love of God, when we are drawn toward life with God and in, and in God, all of who we are is intercepted by a new orientation. The question then becomes, how now does this, this time that you have, this treasure that you have, this talent that you have, how now does this reflect your love for God and your love for others? For those of us who call ourselves Christians, the question is no longer, what can I do with what is mine, but rather, how do I steward what is God's? How do I steward what is God's? For the disciples in Acts, it reflected their allegiance to God and their commitment to one another that they considered nothing their own but everything available in service to the work of the kingdom and the needs in the community. It was a radical reimagining of how things work. It's a challenging concept for us. Here's Willie Jennings again. He says, matters of money are inescapable. They're inescapable. They are at the heart of discipleship, but they are not the heart of discipleship. Money here in Acts will be used to destroy what money normally is used to create, distance and boundaries between people. Distance and boundary is not merely between the haves and have-nots, but also between the needy and the comfortable, and between those who testify to Jesus and those who, like Jesus, help those with little or nothing. Jesus will join us, and he will use whatever we have to make the joining possible. And what we see here in Acts is a group of people drawn together, united in their followership of Jesus, united in utilizing whatever resources were at their disposal to break down barriers to entry and to flourishing, and they were united in disrupting the consequences of injustice and greed. And so also for us, it's a, that's a model that we're trying to follow. As I mentioned earlier, the next five campaign, it coincides with the rolling out of our church's strategic plan which contains three priorities, and each one we'll go through in the coming weeks. Talk more about each one in depth. First, it's transformational discipleship. It's helping people become more like Jesus. Second is inclusive welcome. It is cultivating a space where everyone feels the welcome, that everyone feels welcome and, and feels accepted. And third, it's collaborative justice. Collaborative justice, working together with others to create a more just city. Now these are not unique, they're not 
a new revelation. They're not a change of course for us here at Christ City. They reflect a desire to go deeper in reflecting in the heart of God and pointing to the kingdom of God and in doing good for the sake of those who are not yet part of our community here and for those who may never be a part of our community here. We do good to all, to everyone, as the church in Acts did. Last summer, as we marked five years, we gave thanks to God for, for allowing us to, over the last five years, to engage in a discernment process that, that led to a, a, a posture of full inclusion regarding human sexuality as we sought to create and cultivate a more welcoming community for our queer siblings. We were able to press deeper into inclusion. We invited an external audit of our church's practices and processes, especially from the, the perspective of race and culture, and we continue to enact and work on many of the recommendations that came out of that. We've been able to invest $120,000 from our savings to fund the two-year worship arts fellowship, which allowed us to hire our very first worship arts director, Ms. Minister Jocelyn Henderson. Yeah. And over the, the, the first five years of our existence, we were able to give away almost $400,000 to local and global partners and projects to organizations committed to the common good through our Advent offerings and to those in need through our Benevolence Fund. This is what we have done. But what more could be? What more could be? We've set an ambitious goal for this campaign, for this next five campaign, of raising an additional $450,000 over the next three years on top of our existing tithes and, and offerings. And that'll come from existing givers who, who just choose to raise their level of commitment as well as from donors choosing to participate in this way for the very first time. This, this target, it increases our budget by 33%. It's ambitious. If we hit that target, we can press even more deeply into our discerned priorities. We can build on what's gone before as well as investing in the things to come. We hit that target, we could deepen our ability to offer a place of welcome and healing for those in search of God. If we hit that target, we could strengthen our work of equipping disciples of Jesus to live out the gospel wherever they're called to go or stay. If we hit that target, we could, this is a little personal, we could more equitably compensate our staff. If we hit that target, $450,000 over the next three years, we could replenish the savings and the hit that we took in the pandemic. So we're well positioned to, if the Lord provides an opportunity and an invitation to purchase a property. We love being here at Minor, and we may, may not enjoy as much setting up every week <laughs> and tearing down every week. And um, The thing is, I know it's, it's doable. It's ambitious, but it's doable. And based on, so every two years, we take a census of our church, uh, who's, who's part of our church community, and Based on the results of last year's church census, if every household at Christ City tithed, that is, gave 10%, we would easily clear that bar with room to spare, with room to grow, with room to breathe. But let me say here a few words about tithing. Uh, I was raised going to church with the understanding that 10% was the target, it was the minimum. 10% of your income went to God as a recognition and acknowledgement that it's all God's anyway. And so even as a kid receiving an allowance of, I think it was about Hong, uh, 20 Hong Kong dollars a week, that's about three US dollars, I would drop my $2 coin, my tithe, into the offering bag every week. 
I was always taught that if we're faithful when we have little, it will help us be faithful when we have more, when we're blessed with more. The concept of the tithe, which just means a tenth that comes from the Old Testament, it's, it's mentioned in several books, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Nehemiah. And there were different kinds of tithe regulations. There was some that were yearly tithes. There were some that were every three years. Uh, some were for the Levites who were uh, charged with oh, excuse me, who were charged with facilitating worship for the people. And some were for the underprivileged, for the vulnerable, for those in need. To tithe was to recognize God's provision. God was the one who gave the increase, and so it was right to return our first fruits, as it's sometimes called. To tithe was to acknowledge God's lordship, to demonstrate our commitment, our allegiance to this God, and to tithe was to be obedient to God's command in the Old Testament. In reality, however, it seems that the, the people of Israel saw tithing as, a, as an option rather than a command. We know this because in Malachi, which is the very last book of the Old Testament, God speaks through the prophet to accuse the people of Israel of robbing him by not tithing. This is what he says in Malachi 3 verse 10, bring the whole tenth part, the whole tithe to the storage house so there might be food in my house. Please test me in this, says the Lord of the heavenly forces. See whether I do not open all the windows of the heavens for you and empty out a blessing until there is enough. Some translations have that last line saying, until there is no more need. Now, what's interesting here in this invitation from God is this, this line, this test me. This is one of the only places in Scripture where God invites a test. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the command is, do not test the Lord your God. But that's a different kind. The kind that is prohibited is a word that conveys arrogance and cynicism and complaint. There is a different term that is used right here that is testing from a posture of honest doubt with the intent to encourage and approve faith in God. The motivation is different. And so God invites it as an expression of faith in God, as a return to God, as a dislodging of what may well be central in our hearts and minds, that is the security and stability of having enough resources to fool yourself into thinking you are in control. To test God in this context is to accept God's invitation to bring the whole tithe, the whole tenth part, and then to see if God does not return blessing and goodness to you. The Old Testament scholar Minyan Jacobs wrote, it is as if to say, you cannot lose by testing me in this. Now, I still remember how baffled I was when my dad, who was a New Testament scholar, told me that he didn't think tithing was a required practice anymore. I mean, Jesus mentions the tithing of the religious leaders, right? He condemns them for giving in the spirit of achieving the bare minimum while neglecting the weightier matters of justice and love. There are mentions in the New Testament of Paul taking up a collection for the poor and of churches sending money to a church in another region at a time of great famine. But as my dad explained it to me, it began to make more sense. With the coming of Jesus, Jesus who is our center point, Jesus who is the, the one through whom we interpret everything now and understand everything, the new law is love. 
Love is the new law. Right? Someone asked Jesus about retribution for a wrong done. He said, it's an eye for an eye, right? And Jesus said, nope. It's love your enemies. Some religious leaders criticized him for not observing the law and choosing to heal on the Sabbath, and he said, a person's life is worth more than the law. Love is the new standard. Love is the measure, and love always goes beyond the bare minimum. Love always goes beyond the bare minimum. It goes to generosity. Love goes to self-sacrifice. Love goes to meeting the needs. So maybe if you don't give at all right now, what it means for you to go beyond in love is to start. Start where you are. Maybe if you give sporadically, what it means for you to go beyond in love is to give regularly, to try that practice. Maybe if you give a little, shooting for 10% is the stretch. Maybe that is the sacrifice. And maybe if you already tithe, the Spirit's question is, what's next? There is no one answer. I believe and I trust that you all have the same access to the same Spirit and are motivated by the same love for the same God and for all of God's people. I trust that. I'm not here to guilt trip you. I'm not here to emotionally manipulate you. I trust the Holy Spirit's work in your life. But did you notice the promise of God in Malachi was that if the people were faithful in their giving, God would pour out blessing until what? There was no more need, right? And in the church of Acts 2 and Acts 4, what does it say? They gave to those who were in need, and there were no needy persons among them. The early church was an embodiment of the promise and provision of God. There was a tangible faithfulness on display, and that invitation stands for us today, too, that we, too, can showcase the goodness and generosity of God to a world in need when we participate, when we allow God to pour blessing through us to others. What could be? My family's first few days in Hong Kong were hard, were disappointing, disorienting. But by the grace of God and very intentional processing and effort on my part and Carolyn's part and my family's part, the last few days were a beautiful new experience. Still hard in so many ways, but a gateway to new possibilities. Something different, but still good. During the next five weeks of this series, this campaign, you're invited to listen as the Spirit leads as the Spirit speaks. In the aftermath of a chaotic few years, maybe in the presence of a current chaos, what is the new normal? What will it look like? What muscles of giving and growth are waiting to be exercised, needing to be exercised? What area of church life and personal discipleship are you being beckoned to commit to or recommit to, to invest in or reinvest in, to to see what could be. As part of this next five, we have, there are booklets for you to take home. We'll, we'll hand them to you as you leave. 
There are testimonials on, in the booklets and on the website from past and present members of our church and leaders of our church. And we'll have info sessions in the coming weeks with, you know, where you can hear more from, from us, from the elders, and where you can ask your questions. And in those booklets, you'll have also a, a commitment card. We ask you to consider in prayer. On May 25th, five weeks from today, we'll mark Commitment Sunday when all of us will bring our pledge cards with whatever God has laid on our heart. And I trust that. Christ City Church is what it is because countless people, many of you here, invested their time and their energy and their resources into it in prayer and service and conversation and collaboration and volunteering on ministry teams and discipling our young saints and giving what you could even when finances were a challenge. Christ City is what it is because those who dreamed about what could be, because of those who dreamed about what could be and worked to make that a reality. And we will become who we will become as the Lord leads us through those who now choose to invest their time and energy and resources. Your voice matters. Your time matters. Your becoming matters. Whatever you contribute in, in hours and dollars and presence, it will shape who we become in the next few years. What could be in five years' time? Maybe that's the question for you to ask God this morning. Quite simply, what could be, Lord? 